The R. Kelly situation is really wild. And just thinking about the case and thinking about how this person was a phenomenon in an era that I was growing up in. And to think about the damage that he allegedly did to all of these young women and to hear these opening sort of representations of these women and of R. Kelly is just wild. So the lawyers who are arguing on behalf of these women say this individual was not just somebody who liked to party uh, or have a good time, but this individual was somebody guilty of statutory rape, making pornography with young girls, and then being encircled by people who enabled him to do so. Um, on the other hand, you have the folks that are defending R. Kelly, his lawyer saying, no, this is just all buyer's remorse. Like these people made choices for themselves and then later regretted it or found it to be um, opportunistic for them to say I was raped or I was mistreated. You see like this passing off of responsibility by all these people. One of the persons that was being interviewed was R. Kelly's doctor, who was, he and his wife were being flown around the country uh, to concerts, and all the while providing medical services to R. Kelly for a number of sexually transmitted diseases. In addition to that, like there were underage women, allegedly, that R. Kelly had had sexual activity with who contracted the STDs that he had. And these medical, this particular medical professional would come to R. Kelly's house to provide medical sources medical resources to these women. So you have a mountain of people who are enabling a man who clearly is not sane, right? And I say that without saying allegedly because if your defense is that these people knew what they were getting into and now they have remorse, then I'm led to believe that you too knew what you were getting into and you did not believe that you could be caught. You believed because of the people around you that you were above the law. And from my perspective, based on what both parties are presenting, there are more people that need to be held accountable for 
all of the things that it's being alleged that this man is responsible for. It starts in 1994, where R. Kelly, well, it didn't start in 1994. We need to be talking about <laughs> R. Kelly's childhood and where he's from, the trauma created, his what his gifting positioned him to believe that he was invincible and above the law. But you remember in 1994, he married Aaliyah and she was 15 and he was 27. And they're saying that Aaliyah lied about her age on the wedding certificate. But did she lie to the law or what what information was shared with R. Kelly? Where were her parents? What were the like who who around these people allowed for this to be possible? A twenty seven year old man marrying a fifteen year old girl. And Aaliyah, God rest her soul, who's no longer with us anymore, she pretty much went the rest of her career dodging questions about the relationship that she um, and R. Kelly had. And he was given the luxury of surviving that travesty and being a superstar celebrity telling people that the two of them were best, best, best friends. Well, that's a red flag. <laughs> you were best, best, best friends with a 15-year-old child when you were 27? And that's okay. I got questions. Then in 1996, that's when it really started blowing up, where he started to be sued by these people. Sued by an intern. Sued for emotional stress by Tiffany Hawkins. Sued, 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 sued in 2002. Child pornography, urinating on people. And what were the people around him doing? And then it went from just being R. Kelly is nasty to people describing him as this deep, dark human being that was the leader of this cult infused by inappropriate sexual activity. And I think we need to be thinking about what encourages these types of people to thrive and to be able to get away with years and years and years of alleged abuse of children and young people and women. I think on the other hand, we have to have a discussion around what 
should we be teaching or telling our children, our young girls, our young boys about their value so that they're not easily manipulated by people who they know have challenges, whether they be sexually or, you know, I mean, the woman who interviewed, um, I guess she's like Jane Doe number four is what they're calling her. She met R. Kelly. Now she's 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 been on the witness stand uh, testifying against R. Kelly and saying and essentially concurring with all that has been said about his behavior. She met R. Kelly at the courthouse where he was fighting earlier allegations of sexual misconduct with children, minors. She met him at the courthouse, y'all. So it, it, to me, we have a challenge with talking about the nuclear family, the role that mothers and fathers play in the lives of children. And, and I know that not every two-parent household rears up brilliant young people who cannot be seduced or mistreated. Come on, I know that. I know that just because you have a father doesn't mean that you know your value as a young woman or just because you have a mother means that you know how to treat women who you're sexually involved with. I know that. But there's something to say about certain values that can be communicated through the parental guidance of parents to parents with integrity, right? And I know that adults make their own decisions, but we're not talking about adults necessarily. We're talking about children and young women and young men. And as this case goes on, it's apparent to me that we're going to learn more and more and more about people who surround themselves with people that they know are doing the wrong thing and they either enable them by remaining silent or they enable them because there is a benefit that they get from doing so. A doctor, a practicing medical professional, a board certified medical professional who's a faculty member at somebody's college or university testified about years and years of enabling someone who he knew had a variety of sexually transmitted diseases, who he knew was manipulating and giving these young women herpes. Ooh, it's it's difficult to watch, but I think that we should study the psyche of these young people who 
make decisions. We should ask questions about their parents and where they were. We should make connections between parental guidance and uh, the love of money and the 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 ways, not, and not just the women, the, all the people, the producers, the songwriters, the record label, the managers, the medical professionals, the hotel, I mean, just anybody who got the inclination that something was wrong and it took them 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 years to testify about things that they knew were happening. And I think that, like, can you think about how many lives could have been saved if people, when they know something wrong is happening, stand up and are brave enough to say, this is not right, this cannot continue. I don't care who you are. I don't have, I don't care how much money you have. I will not be a part of this. Now, I understand that you have a lot of professionals and it's a dangerous world and you're wrestling against a lot of different money. You, you're wrestling against a lot of different influences, right? Money included. And I'm certain that's hard. I'm certain that that is something that a lot of these people wrestled with. But it's also apparent that they benefited from it too. It's also apparent that they took trips and they 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 lived um, lives of luxury, and many of them lived lives of luxury in exchange for being sexually abused and manipulated. I just maybe I'm just venting. Maybe I don't have like the solution or the ideal outcome. But I think some tangible things that we can do is we can affirm people who speak their truth and who stand up to say enough is enough, whether it be people on TV, because I think that if we're not careful, if we advocate for people like R. Kelly, even with our silence, we communicate to people who have been abused that, hey, just like we're beating down people for telling their own stories or their own truths, that'll be the trajectory that you'll have to live with if you decide to tell your truth. So we've got to find a way to affirm people who are willing or brave enough to tell their stories, right? We also got to know how to connect people with resources in the community around addiction around abuse. I think that's important. I think the third thing that churches should be doing is thinking really hard about what our role is in filling the gaps in people's lives so that they know that they are valued and that they should see themselves from God's eyes and his perspective. I think that that's really important because and I think the other thing is we need to be thinking thoroughly about how we protect children. And sometimes our mindset is we'll take care of the ones that you bring to us. But if God in the word of God tells the disciples to go out into the highways and hedges to compel men to come and to stay at houses and to minister to families, if he tells these very same disciples that, they should not turn children away who are in need of God's help. 
then our idea that children have to come to us to be mentored, to be ministered to, is a fallacy. It's not true. And so we need to be thinking deeply about how we encourage and uplift children. We need to learn children's names, right? Some of this stuff is just easy to do. Learn how to allow children to know that you love them and that you value them and that the first type of affirmation that they get is not from somebody who wants to manipulate them. We need to have frank conversations about sexual identity in church. We need to talk to young people about the gift of sexuality and God's intention for the body, right? And not in like a uber, like deep and sort of, I don't want to misuse the word religious, but not in a deep and pious way, but people need affirmation that their bodies are beautiful and it's, they're worth saving and valuing and, and, and not giving to whomever wants it, right? Um, I just, I also recognize that everybody can't be saved. But I think that as we see the professionalization of sex culture and sex workers and pornography and all of these things that we have to be careful because some of the things that we used to forbid, they were associated with a certain shame that also chased people away. But now we stand alone in our forbidding of some of these activities because they have been professionalized. They have been affirmed by the media. They have been affirmed by the entertainment industry. And so the war against their influence is pretty much just left to the parent and the church because every other entity is saying this is okay. It's okay to be this way. Like you, you. It's okay to, to, to view your sexuality casually, to give it away, and to be fluid and open. And I think we're faced with a challenge. That if we don't recognize what that challenge is, and figure out a way to talk about it and to address it, then we ourselves become victims and and we become victimizers and we've got to stop affirming silence if you have the capacity to be brave and you know something try to tell that find the courage to report it to share it find the courage to say something you know, because if you don't, the blood of these victims is on your hands, essentially. 